Osiris. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Welcome back to We Move Through Stormy Weather, a fish podcast where we compare and contrast songs and the evolution of their jamming styles throughout the band's career. My name is Ryan Storm, and today I am joined by Joel Cummins. Joel is a founding member and the resident keyboard wizard for Umphreys McGee and a longtime fish fan. Outside of the music world, Joel is a best-selling author, releasing The Realist Guide to a Successful Music Career, which features an array of musical and music business advice and includes conversations with musical greats. Joel, say hi. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Nice to be here with you. Yes, thank you so much for coming on, and I'm so excited to dive into one of Fish's most iconic songs with you today, the one and only Harry Hood. There it is. There it is. Definitely a uh, top 10 for me. And, you know, one of these interesting pieces of music that even though it has lyrics that are, you know, one of the best sing-along moments at, at a Fish concert that you'll get, it's a mostly instrumental tune. Yeah, and what an instrumental tune it is. So many distinct moving parts, so much going on. And I know you want to, not only do you want to dive into a specific version that you picked, but you want to dive into the song itself. And I'm really excited to get into that. Yeah, I just wanted to make a few general comments, to, you know, for people out there that, that are kind of into this sort of thing that are musicians or, or into music theory. Um just about kind of what's happening. And so Harry Hood is a song that kind of takes you on a journey from starting in this, uh, this, this deep uh, D minor reggae pocket that eventually ends up in a D major uh, Ionian mode, meaning that, you know, it's got the D major and then the uh, like A major and G major are all chords that put on there. You're not using the, the C natural. And, um, I'd say, you know, Ionian mode is probably like the second most uh, commonly used 
major key for rock bands or major mode for rock bands, Mixolydian being the more popular one. But, mm. um, but it, you know, when you do hit those moments, it's, it's one of those, uh, uh, that particular chord progression, the outro is a, a very, uh, joy inducing experience uh, oh, yes. for, for, for whatever reason. And the first half of it is kind of a contrast to that. And there, there's certainly plenty of little major chord movements in there too, but um, more than not, we're looking at uh, a minor key. And um, as we were just talking about a little bit before the uh, podcast started here, the thank you, Mr. Minor section is a Locrian mode thing. This kind of super evil uh, guitar riff that, that goes, uh, gradually up the keyboard as far as what key you're in uh till mm-hmm. finally you end up on the the ea progression that leads us to the outro so i think there's some great tension that's built in those those final locrian moments before you get to the resolution of the you know the big major chords yeah and you see that a lot in uh like in a number of trays earlier compositions like yem definitely has some of them aren't as significant but yem definitely has fluffhead uh the ending bundle of joy part before sure. arrival um divided sky i think has a moment like that before the ethereal part with the pause um but it, it's a really cool you know the, the tension building i i love that it's i think very common uh very common uh, praise given to fish about uh the tension and release and it's really cool when it's built into the compositions like this definitely yeah no doubt and so then you know the other um big significant thing i would i would say that uh you know i it's musically really interesting and also equally gets the crowd just as excited when it happens live as the uh um the kind of uh mixed meter uh thing that's going on Um, where the band and Fishman are, are kind of uh, in different places and all the band is playing together and Fishman's kind of sticking to 4-4 and then adding some extra beats at the, uh, the end yeah. of measures to make it come around. But um, that's a super effective uh, use of that uh, very un- unusual technique. Oh, yeah. And, and another reason why John Fishman is absolutely insane. Because <laughs> yeah. that's it's so hard for me to... like focus on his part and not mess up counting in my head even when I'm listening to the song and I can't imagine playing that um similar to uh like how Trey and Page like chase each other uh through the melody in Reba sure um like that's just a really cool thing of going on a completely different time signature or a different beat uh than the rest of the band yeah and you know this is pretty common knowledge but uh Fisherman is also um, incredibly dedicated to his craft and, and working yes. on his stuff individually. And um, I think Harry Hood's a good example of where he he's he's often like the underlying shining cog, where if you listen to his parts specifically, you're like, oh, wow, that's also going on underneath there, huh? Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. And uh, particularly, I mean, you know, his his role in the the, the final uh, the final build um is is really important and i'm i'm glad we got these two different um you know fairly different versions that that we picked here where um where where a few different things happen a couple unexpected things i would say yes now do you want to start off uh talk a little bit about the version you picked which is uh december 5th 1995 
Yeah, so this is from uh, the Mullen Center. They're, uh, they're kind of the end of their fall tour. Um, and I know a lot of people are, are very into the 94, 95 Harry Hoods, and that's with good reason. Special um, breed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, th this one is pretty cool because it seems like they're really holding back on reaching the apex of the jam. And so as a result, there's, there's this kind of continual exploration vibe that just keeps you, keeps you right on the edge. And, um, you know, Trey and Mike are, are playing around a little more with the one, one in five scale degrees, meaning like the D and the A. Um, there's a lot of emphasis on, on the five, which is not very typical for, uh, for what, what Trey typically plays. So I think that's a significant thing that happens. Um, finally, when they do kind of get to the, uh, where, where, where Mike's pedaling the, the D bass and Trey's playing the, the DAG chords over the top, they bring it back down one more time before uh, he, he really, you know, fires off into the stratosphere with uh, yeah i remember with, uh, <laughs> well I, i'm glad you i'm glad you recommended this version because i hadn't heard this one before and when i was listening to it uh, a few days ago to make notes i remembered that that final um when it seems like they're almost about to hit the the you can feel good and then they go back down again that was so like caught me completely off guard and like one of the things i love most about fish is their ability to continuously surprise me like that yeah, no doubt. Um, and I think, so one of the things that both of these versions have in common is that, and, and this is true for most of the end of, of versions of Live Harry Hoods, is that dynamically, Trey really keeps things at a, at a lower level um, for, for a pretty long time. And it's just such a, um, such a delicate piece of music every time. And, and so to... To hear that that sort of patience um, to to be able to keep things so restrained um, is, is really exciting to listen to as a musician. Yeah, and I, I love the the patience exhibited by them in so many different jams around that period, uh, like December '95, like the Slaves and the Rebas and and the Hoods, of course. Like it's so amazing to listen to. Like one one specific that comes to mind, I think it's the show right after this, the Niagara Falls show. Um, the slave from that one for most of the jam Trey is just playing the a g d e chord progression and not even soloing or anything and it's just like it's just such a patient jam and i it's i love it, I love yeah, it. nice nice yeah so that's uh that's probably my my general uh my general thoughts about the uh the ninety five version i think it also um the tempo does feel a little bit faster in that one, which, you know, is also in, indicative of 95 younger, yeah. young, younger musicians and, and, uh, you know, probably, uh, probably enjoying themselves out there. So as they should be, but, uh, but yeah, I like the slightly more aggressive tempo as well. Yeah. So the version I picked, um, one of my favorite versions of hood, uh, November 1st, 2018, uh, from Vegas, day after the fabled Casfoot Facts show. And also, for those of you who don't know already, Fall 2018 is my favorite fish tour. Um, but this uh, this version, I think, similar to the 1995 one in, in the respects that they're both kind of type 1.5. Uh, they don't quite 
um, leave the hood structure, but they do a little bit. Um, this one's really cool um, because it has some very smooth, we are come to outlive our brains teasing uh, in the middle of the jam, whack tube. Great song. And I love, um, I love for uh, the other few shows of that Vegas run after the Halloween show, how they teased uh, a few of the songs and, they they came in uh, it came in so naturally here uh, just before the seven minute mark when Mike just brings in the bass line um, and the crowd reacts immediately. Is it Fishman who sings it first, or is it Mike playing the bass line? Mike, Mike brings in the bass line first, um, and then there's about a minute of them essentially playing uh, Whack Tube. Yeah, and Paige um, switches to the uh, Whirly, I think, right? Yes, yes, the Whirlitzer. Yeah, um, yeah and Fishman, uh, Fishman catches on to Mike almost immediately and switches drum beats to uh, you know, that of the jam. And it's really cool because after the Whack Tube piece, it sounds like, um, they're going full force, like they're going right for the peak and that's going to be it. And it's going to be like, oh, fun hood with a whack tube tease. Um, but Trey decides he's not done yet. And immediate, like, I think 20 seconds after that, like initial burst of energy, he quiets back down and, um, you know, bunks it up a little bit. The classic, um, I think, very uh, common theme um, for leaving the song structure that we've seen in the past few years is when Trey will hit a big uh, minor chord strum uh, on his guitar and then gets a little funky. Yeah, um, they they kind of go to a bluesier feel there. Exactly. Yeah, yeah the, the the switch back to D minor a little bit. Yeah, and there's a really really great ebb and flow uh, like of intensity. Uh, for the next few minutes of the jam where they kind of kind of like tease us a little bit, which is interesting to contrast it with the 1995 version because it's a different kind of patience and a different kind of teasing around the peak um, because they're not, obviously they're not as uh, tight as they were 23 years before and they're not as young. So they can't play as fast and 
you know, but it's still really cool to, you know, the versions do bear um, some similarities to me, at least uh, to my ear. Like it's, it's really cool to listen to, even though they're so different and the gear that they're using is so different and has evolved so much. Like if you think about, you know, at least for Paige uh, in 1995, um, you know, he had no Wurlitzer. He didn't have his synth. Like, you know, it was very different. And it's cool to listen to uh, the evolution of the sound, which is, you know. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And thank God he has a Wurlitzer now because that's one of my favorite tools that he has <laughs> yeah you know i i've uh i've played i've used one in the studio for a bunch of umphrey stuff but they are pretty difficult to maintain so unfortunately i haven't brought one out on the road um but i didn't know they're that. yeah they are they're pretty awesome instruments well and the difference between you know the roads and the whirly is that the the roads has a, a metal tine so when the hammer strikes it you know you have this like kind of thicker resonating sound and with yeah. the whirly they're plastic so you know it's flatter yeah it's well and and just you know more potential to break i mean i you know right. don't get me wrong i've broken plenty of times in my time and cursed myself but um <laughs> you know it's 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 a completely different ball game for sure that's interesting i didn't know about the uh fragility of that instrument before that's i, I wonder if page has broken one because i know he had his little little pumpkin for like almost 10 years i think um, and then he got a bigger full size one in 2019. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's so cool to discover things like that. Cause I thought like, you know, the most difficult part of pages rig to maintain would be the grand piano that has to be tuned twice a day. Um, yeah. I mean, that's more of just a pain in the ass, I think. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, 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 you know, the same for clavinets, clavinets can require a decent amount of work too. So, um, so th I, I think that's why a, a lot of people don't take one out because you know musicians don't want to spend time um trying to fix their keyboards they want to right. spend time playing playing so, them, of course so so unless you have a uh you know a, a tech at your disposal that is willing to take Which on that does. responsibility yeah he does he <laughs> and does, honestly so. that's that's kind of my dream job so <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've uh i've i've chatted with uh with eddie once um i have we, we you know we have some friends that are uh that are on the crew. So we've, we've been to, my wife works in the music business too. So um, I've gone to more 3.0 shows on her behalf. And, you know, I started out going to shows in uh, 94, but once Humphreys got going, it was, it was a better idea for me to, uh, to just kind of step back and step away. Cause you, you don't want your original music to mimic something you love too much, you know? Yeah. I remember uh, I was listening to, um, a podcast uh, in the spring with uh, Barber from the Disco Biscuits, and he said he stopped going to fish shows because he had started playing like Trey with the Disco Biscuits. Yeah, right, right. So, I mean, I I don't think the 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 good thing is for me, I don't think that there's as much of a thing where it's like, oh, I would start playing like Paige. It's definitely more of a guitar player thing for right. for a fish, you know. Right. Um, but. Uh, but yeah, it was going back to 94 when I discovered them, it was kind of a thrill for me to find a band that had an essential keyboardist who did not also have to be the lead singer. Interesting. Yeah. So, so. yeah, I, I think, yeah, it's really cool because in, in, I, you know, in a lot of, um, 
big bands, I think the keyboardist isn't usually the front man. And if they are, they're more of a lead singer than a keyboardist. Yeah, and it's you know it's intimidating. You think about Stevie Wonder, Donny Hathaway, yeah. Billy Joel, um, Elton John, Bruce Hornsby. These guys are all outstanding singers. In yeah. addition to being pretty mind blowing uh, players themselves. So, oh yeah. Um, you know that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> yeah, it's re- oh yeah. I know. Uh, yeah, and and singing and playing, of course, as we both know is adds another level of difficulty to it. Uh, yeah. At the same time. Um, anyway, let's tie it back to, uh, the topic at hand. Um, I know one thing I noticed, um, about the 1995 versions, which I love about kind of the late nineties, uh, is Trey's use of the Leslie effect, um, Mm. which he also used a lot in 2018, but isn't really present in this specific jam. Um, but I think it had, he had a different Leslie speaker back then I know. So it has really kind of a warm really warm sound uh in this hood and he uses it in the intro um and in the jam i have a note uh from this 1995 version that's just the leslie in all caps with three exclamation marks (laughs) yeah um some sometimes my notes are comprehensive and sometimes they are just me freaking out about things that are happening For those of you guys listening that are wondering, what is the Leslie? The Leslie is typically, it's a it's a speaker that is used with the Hammond B3 organ. And it has a spinning um, uh, high-end and low-end speaker. And I think they spin in opposite They spin direction. in opposite directions, yeah. Yeah. So you really need to mic both the top and the bottom to get the full effect. But if you think about, you know, like the, the, the flutter of the organ, that sort of sound, that's your Leslie on fast. And when it's on slow, it kind of has more of like a, a phasery sound to it. Yeah. Um, so you can, you know, switch it back and forth between those two things. Some also have the ability to stop as well. Um, yeah. I, but, I'm not a fan of uh, when people playing an organ stop the Leslie. Yeah, neither, neither. It's yeah, uh, it it sounds super nasal, and I just yeah. yeah it's all about the movement. It's got to have that that movement to it. So yeah. Um. Anyway, kind of just like what you were saying. It, it for there are some people who use it for guitar, and I think, um. Yeah, Trey. You said Trey brought it out in '94. Uh. Yeah. I I believe he got it in '95. Not 100 percent sure. It might have been late '94, early '95. 
Um, but I know by fall 95, he was using it a fair amount uh, and through uh, 97 and stuff. You can hear it in a lot of his uh, not only soloing, but his uh, kind of like melodic work, like in beginnings of hood jams and stuff like that. And when he wants to get quieter and then he didn't really use it for, I think he carried it around for uh, the majority of 3.0 without using it. I think basically at all. Um, and what's interesting to me is that in the nineties he had, it was like a small, not sure what kind of Leslie it was, um, but not like a full Leslie speaker like he used with an organ. And then when fish came back in Oh nine, he was using like a huge full, you know, wooden Leslie cabinet um, with, uh, which is crazy to me to lug that around for the guitar. Um. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Well, the good thing is they're not that heavy, you know, it's oh, they're the not? B- no, they're not. It's the B3. That's actually really heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think Leslie he, just takes up a lot of space. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Uh, I think maybe he'd been using a solid state one before using that sounds right. Yeah, before using the full cabinet, um, which that would, you know, fit a little better, like on top of a guitar amp or wherever they had it sitting. Yeah, um, that's where it was. So, so he might actually not have had the lower speaker. And some of the, um, like I used one by a company called Motion Sound that was pretty popular for making them uh, back before I got a B3. And so it had a, um, it had a quarter inch out for the bass and that it only spun with the top. So um, I think it was, uh, you know, just so you would get that full sound, but part of it was, was, uh, was not real. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I, I, I like, I think he also, I'm, I'm not sure if this is true, but it, it sounds a little bit like he might be running a mixed wet dry signal from it. So you kind of get the that would make, regular that would guitar make tone yeah. as well as the Leslie. And it just, it mixes so well with his uh, 1995 guitar tone, which is incredible. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And I am. Um, yeah. I I'm, it's, it's actually interesting that he doesn't use it in this, uh, in this uh, Vegas hood from 2018, because it is all over pretty much, I think every big jam uh, from 2018, especially from the summer of that year. He, uh, he just, I'm not sure what, what, uh, whether he got a new Leslie at the end of 2017 or someone was like, Hey, you should use the Leslie more, but he started really diving into that effect uh, in 2018. And I love it. Um, And then Trey, if you're listening, you should bring back the actual speaker (laughs) instead of the uh, the rotary pedal that he was using in 2019, which doesn't have the same kind of stereo effect to it. Um, to me, it sounds more like a vibrato or a phaser, um, as opposed to like the authentic Leslie sound. But You can't beat the real thing. That's what it oh. comes down to. Oh, for sure, for sure. And what one thing, because so when I listen to these two versions of Hood, I listen to them one after another pretty much. Um, and... One thing that struck me was um, the difference in the final peak. Um, so both of them have big, uh, both of them have big peaks, obviously as Hood does, and both of them uh, feature Trey, you know, slamming a solo in the. Both of them feature Trey uh, slamming a solo, um, but what's interesting to me is to compare the way that he solos in both. So the 1995 one, obviously, he's playing a lot more notes. Um, it's faster. Um, and in 2018, he's doing that thing that he's been doing lately in peak jams, which is like just hitting big 
uh, like power. I I want to say like the power chord equivalent of like a big high note. Um, it just it has a lot of um, has a lot of energy and strength to it. I think, uh, which is interesting, especially uh, that's also probably as a result of uh, the difference in the amps that he's using and his tone. Uh, because in 2018 he was using the uh, the Comet amp, so his tone was definitely more distorted, higher gain. So it's, it's really interesting to compare and contrast this because, um, you know, it, it's these jams are a lot more similar than uh, the chalk dusts that I compared in episode one or the tubes that I compared in episode two. Um, and that's, that's, I think I kind of consciously picked the Vegas one after you told me about the the 1995 one and i was kind of after i listened to it and i was kind of mulling over you know i was thinking about maybe this one or the the providence 2019 one or um you know trying to pick a good 3.0 version obviously the ones from 2013 and 14 uh, that were big but i think it's really um interesting uh to look at you know the similarities between the two yeah no doubt no doubt and um, and it's, it's a long time. It's 23 years between these two versions. So, um, 23 years, a hiatus, a breakup, an arrest, <laughs> you know, a lot yeah, happened. Yeah. Right. Um, one thing I do also want to mention about the Vegas one is page on the roads at the beginning of the jam. Now page on the roads might be my favorite thing in music ever. <laughs> Um, especially with the heavier phaser effect he's had on it the past few years. Yeah, um, right. It's, it's so good and silky smooth. And that that's uh, when I, when I, uh, my Rhodes patch uh, in main stage, when I play is that heavier phaser sound. Because I just, I love the way it adds like an ambience to the jam and, you know, it really sets a vibe. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. The, um, the, the ambience of the roads, you know, and, and to me, one of the biggest differences between the roads is the, and the whirly is that you've got an opportunity for a little more sustain and, you know, to be able to kind of lay a bed of sound. Whereas the, the whirly, uh, you know, has this, uh, you know, if you're using the tremolo, it has a little more like otherworldly effect to it. Well, yeah, the roads, one of the things that, that I've done over the years is I, I've got a Moger Foger delay pedal up there. And so I've got it set up. Um, it's got a little uh, LFO knob on it as well. So I'll set it up so that it's got some additional kind of, um, you know, it, it's really messing with the pitch just a little bit to kind of give it this wave waving sound. So similar to that, uh, what a phaser would do, um, but really creating a nice like kind of ghostly decay. So that that's something yeah. when, when a lot of space opens up that I think a Rhodes can sound really great with. And, you know, obviously... Um, I would say it's a, like, I wish Paige would play it a little more, honestly. Um, but I, I, I think, yeah, it's, it's such a, it's such a great sound for him. And he's, uh, I especially like the, the major key stuff that he does with the roads. That's what jumps out at me. Yeah. I, I think definitely, uh, he started using it more recently. Um, I think pre 2017, um, he was still, uh, or for, fish mostly up until then he wasn't using the roads as much and was re relying a lot more on the clav or the organ or the piano um and and the wurlitzer in early 3.0 i think they're they're um the wurlitzer gets used a lot more heavily um but i think 
I don't know what Fish did to change their mix or the way the sound was recorded, but it sounds different starting in 2017. Uh, and the Rhodes and the Wurlitzer are a lot more prominent in the mix uh, since then. And with the addition of, I don't know if it was the synth that made Page start using them more, but he's used the Wurlitzer a lot more. Um, and I think he might feel the same way as us with the 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 phaser sounds a lot better on the roads because he's been using it a lot more since uh, that came about. Uh, and there have been a couple of jams where he'll put, you know, he'll have one hand on the Wurlitzer and one hand on the roads uh, and like playing the same melody line, which sounds so, so cool. Yeah, because, yeah, you've got kind of the ambience of the roads sound with the, the flatter, funkier sound of the Wurlitzer and it's, it's phenomenal. Um, one also think, uh, think, wow. One also thing, one other thing, I'm, I'm just not speaking well today. <laughs> um, one other thing, uh, that's kind of different about, uh, these two jams is that the 1995 one doesn't really totally go minor key in the same way that the 2018 one does. Um, you know, it, there's, there's a, uh, there's a conscious, switch to like a minor key funk groove um or like just before the 10 minute mark uh, i think of the vegas one um and it's cool because one thing that they've done recently with hoods which um in the past couple of years i think hood has made kind of a resurgence as a jam vehicle while you know while every version may not go full type two or be absolutely groundbreaking i think there's a lot more um versions nowadays than early 3.0 that uh, get out there a little bit and have a little bit of, you know, quote unquote, extra mustard, as they like to say. Um, but uh, it's cool when they have like a big minor key peak um, and then, you know, go back into the hood transition after that, um, which I, yeah, I, I want to play this clip uh, from the Vegas one. Uh, it's just before the 13 minute mark, big minor key peak, and then they just go right back into the hood theme after it's perfect. right back into that beautiful beautiful hood jam and i just like comparing the two uh jams in that sense looking at how dialed in improvisationally the four of them are in the 2018 version versus how dialed in um uh chops wise they are in the 1995 one you know you look at 
1995 one, they were still getting their um, they were still getting their improvisational sea legs, so to speak. Uh, a lot of the jams and at that point were still very like noise based and um, sure, sure, you know, still getting the hang of it. They hadn't yet reached the funk breakthrough of '97 and uh, late jams. And one thing I really like about 2018 is that what they sacrifice in speed and technical proficiency, they make up for. I think more than make up for uh, in uh, improvisation. And it's just so fantastic to listen to how, um, you know, in my, my favorite period of fish, which is July, 2017 to February, 2019, they're on stage, they're playing with such confidence. And even though they're not hitting every note, even though it's, you know, a bit slower, um, they're getting into a jam and they're moving from one idea to the next with such purpose and it's so great for me to listen to because, you know, you don't truly know where a jam's going to go. Because uh, listening to, you know, the late 90s, like Fall 97 or, you know, Fall 99, for example, I know if I'm going into a long jam, it's going to be funk or it's going to be a really long ambient groove. And I like the, 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 um, how multifaceted it's been the last few years. Yeah, there's, there's definitely some... Uh... I'm not sure what the word is, you know, serendipity, uh, osmosis going on with, uh, with, with when they, they get from that minor peak and then, uh, eventually go back to D major. Um, you know, it's such a, as, as a listener, that's one of those things that you're waiting for with Harry hood with the, uh, you know, kind of the, the beauty of the, uh, you know, the, the, the major peak there. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's always a, a, a fun one to do live. You know, I know Fish is very good about using kind of oral cues and maybe a little bit of visual stuff. But like with Humphreys, you know, we, we will have, you know, kind of a, using a smile or a frown if we want to go from minor to major, major to oh, minor. And so, yeah, so uh, you know, you have to interpret that. I'm like, ah, oh, man, Brendan's he's definitely not having this good of a time. I think he I think he's thinking, let's go major here. That's, that's, that's really interesting. I like that uh, kind of signaling uh, for me when I'm improvising, like when we're jamming with me, my dad and my brother, we just, we just kind of go, you know, uh, my dad or I, cause my brother's on drums, so he doesn't really factor into the major and minor, but <laughs> my dad or I, one of us will just, uh, you know, one of us will like hit a chord or something to change the pace of it. We're not, you know, we're, we're working on getting it uh, smoother. But uh, that's really cool that you guys do like a smile or a frown. That's a really uh, interesting strategy, and I like it. Yeah, I mean, we, we kind of took some stuff from the Zappa realm of using um, using visual cues a little bit. You know, we have like um, the guitar players and, and Ryan, our bassist, can do this. But the like motion of pulling the neck of the guitar uh, up a few times in a row is saying like, let's go up to the relative major or minor and and oh. going down is down to the relative major or minor. So we'll use that one too. Humphrey's improvisational <laughs> secrets right here. That's, yeah. that's really cool. I, I really like that. Yeah. How do you guys, um, like, is there a specific way you approach different songs improvisationally? Like, uh, do you have certain songs that you're more likely to take super dark or, cause I know Fish yeah. has that, or do you guys just kind of go wherever it takes you on any given night? I mean, I'd say there are definitely uh, there are definitely some songs that either lend themselves more naturally to uh, you know um, a Mixolydian jam or a, or an Ionian you know major jam or something that's a little uh, darker you know either on the the Phrygian side or the you know the Dorian that sort of that sort of vibe. But um, 
I think at the same time, we kind of look at whatever we have on the set list. And one of the things we're probably thinking about is let's not do the same type of jam three times in one set. And I think right. that's something that, that uh, Fish has done a, a great job of mixing up, you know, as they, they've gotten to be a more mature band. You're kind of referencing a lot of the noisier jams of, of 95. You know, it, it, if you, we, you listen back to like 93 and those were kind of, for, for me, I hear like the real roots of brilliant improvisation there with them mm-hmm. changing tempos and changing keys and doing some really unique, unusual stuff. And, yeah, the, you know, the, the, go you ahead. Really look go at ahead. the, something like uh, the Murat Jin uh, from 93. Sure. That's really yep. like, that's like the birth of it. And you can really see like, you know, what's to come. <clears throat> and there was that, uh, the wild Atlanta show at the Roxy that, you know, yes. I, I think a lot of the, a lot of the fan base will be familiar with too. Um, but you know, I've, I've obviously heard those and, and, you know, then to the baby grand, (laughs) there you go. And then, uh, you know, to be at the, uh, I was at the Ann Arbor 94 show and that's one with just like a crazy Mike simple. Um, and then, you know, my, my daughter was also born on November 16th. So, you know, that became an important date for me in the future as well. That's cool. (laughs) 26 years later. Um, but, uh, but, uh, they, you know, they went off into some really cool, dark, like uncharted waters there. And that was my second show. And so to me, that was something, you know, we talked about this, I think a little bit about how, you know, when you find a band that you really like, you, the, you go to one show and then you go to the next show, um, you know, an improvisational band, I should say. And that show, I was like, oh my God, completely different than the first show I saw this summer. Yeah. Um, so th- that was, that was pretty mind blowing for me and a, uh, a quick shout out to Jeremy Welsh, who's, uh, also a big fan and is the, the Humphreys, uh, webcast or, uh, I should say webmaster now, but, uh, he and I, 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 I found him, I couldn't find anybody to go to that show with me in 1994, uh, driving from South Bend. We were students at Notre Dame and I, I put an ad in the newspaper and that's how Jeremy and I met. Um, you put an yeah. ad in a newspaper and does anyone want to go to a fish concert with me? I could not find anyone to go with me. That's I mean, awesome. pe- yeah, people didn't know, um, fish that much in the Midwest yet in like 94, you know? Got it. And then by like 95, 96, it was like, oh wow. Now everybody knows it was crazy. Yeah. You're like, I was there first. None <laughs> of you answered my ad oh, last yeah. year. Oh yeah. I held it over their heads. I sure yeah, it did. must have been really cool to see them from <laughs> tour to tour back then in the 90s because the sound was evolving so much then. And, you know, even, I mean, their sound has evolved over the course of the seven shows I've seen, of course, but not in the same uh, drastic way. You know, they're, they're, they've, I mean, their jamming style has definitely uh, improved significantly since I, when I first saw them in 2012. Um, but that's a result of them having to recalibrate uh, after the breakup. Um, You know, Trey said in a SiriusXM interview uh, a couple of years ago that he uh, doesn't see as I think a lot of people share this viewpoint that they didn't really get their their uh, improvisational chops back like fully. They didn't get their mojo back until uh, 2013. And you really see the turning point with something like the Tahoe Tweezer. Um, It's like, oh, look, 36 minute jam. You know, they hadn't played anything uh, to that scale in the past you know in the first four years of 3.0 leading up to that yeah right so it's, it's, it's cool to look at the you know the evolution of that coming back uh, off of the breakup i saw somebody talking about um 
a, I think it was November 28th, 2009, as being uh, one of the first shows back where, as an audience member, they felt like they really hit some hit some big peaks that measured up to the, uh, you know, 1.0 and 2.0 era. Yeah. So I want to listen back to that show. I haven't I haven't heard that. Yeah, the the Albany Seven Albany. Ghost. Yep. Yeah, yes, exactly. Back to back twenty minute jams. Yeah. Like that was for sure the first like oh like they're back moment. Um, now I do enjoy those jams, but I do think that um, they're they're a little bit overhyped, and I I don't you know they're fantastic for that era. I think. Um, I saw, uh, I believe it was Tropaganda on Twitter a couple days ago, said that that's the best show of 2009 to 2011. And I'm inclined to agree with him because. Uh, see, I, I always. Three years. I always disagree with him just out of principle, you know? Yeah. I mean, I disagree with him on a lot of things. And he does not <laughs> I'm, like I'm, my 3.0 favoring takes. But, he's, a buddy, um, he's a buddy of mine, so, you know, I can say it. that. Yeah. <laughs> There was a lot more hesitancy in their playing in the first few years because I, I'm assuming Trey mostly didn't want to, like, you know, you have to dip your toes back in before, you know, diving into the pool. He didn't want to just go headfirst back into, um, you know, the the huge, deep, crazy jams because, you know, he's just coming off of uh, sobriety. Like, at that time, he was only two years sober. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily, though, that plays into, like, a desire to be creatively more out there. Um, but I, I think that it definitely, I think they got back to the point where he probably felt like there was something to prove, which, is, you know, yeah. and I think a lot of, um, you know, you can see this in, and he talks about this, too, that he's really focused a lot more on vocals in the past couple of years. And I think with the 3.0 era, the kind of the lyric and vocal stuff was something that he was really intensely focused on. And, you know, the, this, this last album, Sigma Oasis is kind of, uh, for me, I feel like all of that coming to fruition. I mean, it's a really solid, um, you know, all of his melodies and vocal performances are, are, are really great. So, Without um, a doubt, yeah. Yeah. So, but I, I think that, you know, there was probably a little bit different of a focus in the beginning as well. Um, you know, and wanting to come up with, I, I get this as a musician, you don't want to just come back and play all your old stuff the same way that you did. And, um, you know, you, as somebody who's, you know, trying to be creative too, you always want to be working on new material and, uh, getting new things out in front of the fans and, and, yeah. and hope, hopefully making new fans with that new material too, which is a, it's a tall order. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And, you know, definitely, uh, um, they definitely did have something to prove in 2009 because they, their whole thing was, I mean, as much as I hate referencing, you know, the letter and the breakup in 2004, Trey's point in the letter was he didn't want to become a nostalgia act. You know, they didn't want to become uh, like off fish. They were great in the nineties. Like you should go see them. They're playing rift in its entirety on this tour. You know, I'd go and see that. I think, well, of course <laughs> we'd all kidding. go see that. <laughs> I'm that just would be Fantastic. Um, because Rift is an incredible album, but, um, it's, it's, you know, it's so cool because they've gone so over and above that I think, I mean, you know, I was nine years old and was not aware of the band of the band at the time of, uh, the 2009 reunion. Um, but you know, back then coming off of that year, like at the end of 2009, if you would, you know, I don't know if people would have necessarily believe they'd reach the heights that they've reached in 
2017 to 2019, like improvisationally and just in general with their music and something like Cast Foot Vaxxed and Chilling Thrilling Sounds of the Haunted House. And I think they've put themselves they put themselves out there so much over the like, you know, the modern era. And it's so cool to watch, um, you know. Yeah, I think, you know, realistically, they could have ridden the coattails of the 90s and they could have just, you know, they could just tour and play the hits and, you know, do whatever. And we'd all still go see them, obviously, because they're the greatest band ever. Um, it's Phil, it's no Phil offense, Collins. No offense to Humphreys. I'm, um, I'm not. I'm not offended. <laughs> I, I'm. I'm not even in my. You know, top hundred. So, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, as Phil Collins would say, against all odds, Ryan, against all odds. And you know, they they brought it back, and now, um, you know, we're we're getting to experience another uh, golden era of their creative, uh, their creative, you know, uh, process and and history. Yeah, because and and that's that's kind of what makes the you know the lack of shows this year even worse. Because if you look at the kind of pattern over the last five or six years, um, they have a really strong year or two, and then they kind of take a step back and like for a year. So if you look at twenty fifteen, coming off a fairly well, super strong year, um, Trey was in fantastic form, lots of amazing jams and playing throughout that year, and then twenty sixteen. Um, saw kind of a transition and kind of, you know, Trey took a step back and summer 2016 was kind of a really inconsistent tour. But then the year after was the Baker's Dozen. And I think that, you know, gave them the wave and that a lot, they, they rode that wave into 2018 as well. Um, and 2019, they kind of stepped back and, you know, they're incorporating Ghost of the Forest songs and incorporating Casa Vax songs into the set lists and, you know, all this stuff shaking it up i don't um, know man i I might argue against uh you know 2019 step back now maybe i just got lucky because um i went to the the three shows that summer the last night of alpine valley um the second wow. yeah yeah i <laughs> i've i flew like you know three flights and went like 500 miles on a bus to get there uh, from an umphrey show to go hang Worth out it. with yeah, yeah, I met up with my wife and her friends over there, and yeah, that that was uh, I was extremely proud of my travel day. <laughs> yeah. What were the other two that you saw last time? Um, I saw the Saturday uh, Camden show, which I know the Sunday one was uh, a little bit better, but I was gonna uh, I was gonna be playing at Electric Forest that night, so couldn't stay for Sunday. But mm. uh, yeah, it was Jefferson Waffles uh, bachelor party, so. Ah. Um, yeah, that was that was a great time. I, I flew in for one night uh, to Philly and and then went back to Michigan. You missed the uh, you missed the rainstorm though, which was good. That was on the first night, I think. I did miss the rainstorm. Yes. Oh no! Shout wait. out to my mother who went with my dad to those shows. Did not <laughs> nice. enjoy the rain. Oh. <laughs> yeah, we were we um, were covered. We were covered. So no, I I do remember the the rainstorm was the second night, but I was, oh, was. Uh, okay. I think I was out to dinner at that point. Ah. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. yeah. So the only show I <laughs> caught last year was the Toronto show. Um, and although I think it is vastly underrated, um, I think um, in what, what I meant by, you know, kind of a shakeup is they kind of um, went back like, you know, they weren't playing with the same purpose, uh, I think, for most of the tour. Like you, I mean, Alpine Night 3 is the obvious exception there because right. that show is ridiculous. Um, 
but I think the Mexico shows uh, at the beginning of the year saw them, and and the MSG shows at the end of 2019 saw them. They were like stepping back into it. Um, you know, obviously you saw stuff like the MSG tweezer and uh, the flow of some of the sets uh, over. You know, the MSG in Mexico shows like they were incredible. And while sure the jams like we're not getting a 20 minute jam as often as we were like the only uh 20 minute jam that we've had we've had two 20 minute jams since dicks 2019 which is the mercury from dicks and uh the msg tweezer and it's interesting to look at something like fall 2019 which is so maligned by everybody <laughs> um and i yeah think it was it was, it was so an experiment right yeah. yeah oh yeah, yeah. It was a short one week run, you know, uh, eight shows, I think no repeats. I, and I went to yeah. the, uh, the three Charleston shows, a couple of my bandmates and our manager live in, uh, Charleston. So, uh, uh, you so got we... to be there for chalk dust reprise. You lucky bastard. <laughs> it was kind of funny. Honestly, that really saved that night. Um, oh, the, absolutely. Uh, but you, you know, it's funny. Like, um, Al Schneer is also one of my buddies who plays guitar for Mo and, and he has a place down there and, we were talking, um, we, we were hanging out on Sunday and after those first two shows, it was one of those things where it's just like, oh man, like why even try to be a band when these guys, like anything they could do was just, they made all the right decisions, you know? Right. And, um, the Sunday decisions we had to go somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Sunday we needed, we needed, uh, we needed more pick me ups. Everybody was, you know, crushed from two nights of awesomeness. So, yeah. uh, you know, but it, we had a great time. I had my daughter with me at that show, so uh, she had a good time. That's awesome. Yeah, but, I just um, that that chalk dust reprise. I first listened to the Moby Dick show, I think, in like mid twenty eighteen, and I was like, they need to play chalk dust reprise again. And I've been like, I was campaigning for it for so long, and then they sound checked <laughs> it in Providence, I think, and people were like, oh my god, they sound checked chalk dust reprise, and I was like, they sound checked chalk dust reprise. And I was freaking out for the entire week when they played Chalk Dust at the Met. I thought they were going to encore with it. Right, then. right. And would I make was going to be right? really upset um, <laughs> because there was no video webcast. And I was like, I need to see Trey's face when this happens. And I, you know, I kind of lost hope in the encore of Charleston Night 3. You know, they did um, Pebbles and then Beneath the Sea of Stars. And then when they started Isabella, I was like, okay, this will close the show. Like, great. You know, it works. And then. My dad actually ruined it for me because I think my webcast was like 30 seconds behind or something. And he texted me OMG as Isabella was ending on my screen. And then I, like, I knew that it happened, um, <laughs> but it didn't stop me from screaming and running around my apartment for the duration of the song. <laughs> That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Um, yeah, that was cool, but it was, you know, it was nice to be down there for a, a three night run. I think that is also the first venue that I've been to a fish show at that Umphreys, uh, that I played with Umphreys before I saw fish there. So, Oh, nice. When did yeah. you guys play there? Um, I want to say it was 2016, maybe 2015. It was, uh, the, the, the funny joke behind this is that the shows weren't booked there. We had to move them there after our festival. Like it had been so rainy, um, that like the, the concert site was just completely waterlogged would have been a disaster. Oh, yeah. So fortunately that, that venue was there, but uh, you know, we uh, let's put it this way. We did not uh, sell it to capacity like fish did. 
<laughs> yeah, but it must have been cool to play an arena like that. No doubt, no doubt. And, yeah. uh, you know, we, we do have a couple other places, like we played the arena in, in uh, Asheville, and that one, that one, you know, we can get like five or 6,000 people out there at night. So That's awesome. Just we, uh, you know, for whatever reason, still working on Charleston, right? Still working. Yeah. <laughs> and speaking of fall 2019, they played a pretty fantastic hood in Providence. It all relates back to the topic. There you go. Back to hood. Back <laughs> to hood. That's it. Yeah. So just want to thank you so much, Joel, for coming on uh, today and talking hood and all this other amazing stuff with me. Uh, it's been fantastic. My pleasure, Ryan. Yeah. Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening to episode three of We Move Through Stormy Weather. Hope you have a fantastic day, and we'll see you next time. Hi, this is Henry Kay, host of the number one music history podcast, Rootsland. Come with me on a journey to Kingston, Jamaica where we explore the world of reggae music and the untold stories of some of the genre's greatest legends. From the ghettos and tenement yards where the music was born to the island's iconic recording studios. We are so excited to team up with Osiris Media, the leading storyteller in music. Because as you'll hear, sometimes the story is the best song. Hello. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.